events we organize webinars that we are pleased to share on our podcast channel and on our website www.arent.com. Our tax partners recorded a series of webinars to address recent highlights and important developments in the areas of corporate tax and VAT. We invite you to listen to our five webinars entitled Budget 2021 What to Remember, Case Law Main Trends, Outlook 2021 for Corporations, EU and International Trends, Transfer Pricing Challenges for 2021, and VAT Update for Private Equity. Good morning uh, and a very warm welcome uh, from uh, us uh, for our today's uh, webinar. Uh, on a snowy Thursday uh, here in Luxembourg. I'm very glad to be here this morning uh, to present uh, you uh, this, this, this topic and not being obliged to shovel the snow outside in the cold uh, weather. Uh, so my name is uh, Alain Goebel and I'm a tax partner here at Arendt, leading the transfer pricing team. And today I have here with me uh, Alexandre Maskella, who is a senior associate in our transfer pricing team and uh, who has a significant experience in transfer pricing, in particular as regarding financial services. As you may know, our transfer pricing team uh, has been in place uh, for almost seven years now. Uh, we now have seven fully dedicated transfer pricing specialists in our team, and the team is still growing. And today we have the pleasure of um, presenting you what we think are the transfer pricing challenges um, for uh, this year. The agenda today um, is um, very uh, concise. Uh, we only have uh, about uh, 20, 25 minutes uh, at the most. Um, so what we think uh, are the highlights for this year is of course the transfer pricing implications on the COVID pandemic, um, the transfer pricing implications on the uh, transfer pricing guidance on the financial transactions that have been issued last year by the OECD which still causes a lot of uh, questions. And we also have uh, a few other um, issues uh, regarding the international uh, developments uh, which we wanted to flag. And after the presentation, um, there is, of course, a possibility to uh, ask a question. So we have one uh, question and answer session uh, foreseen. But even throughout the presentation, you are able to ask questions uh, in writing. You have on uh, or you should have on your um, computer, on your screen, on the right uh, side, at the bottom of the screen, you should have a Q&A line where you can um, uh, write your answers uh, and uh, send them to us. And uh, we will, of course, try to answer them then um, as soon as the presentation, uh, as we have finished the formal presentation. So um, let's go to the first uh, topic, and I leave the floor to Alexandre to... Um, Thank you, Alain. So yes, we will start with the transfer pricing implications of COVID-19. With COVID-19 and the related government restrictions, there is a stress on financial markets. Access to cash becomes more challenging, which means also that a lot of companies fail to meet their obligations. One of the main questions was whether the transfer prices, the transfer pricing policy applied by taxpayers should be changed and updated in the light of the current COVID crisis, which has impacted many groups, 
in many industries. In response, the OECD has recently published, one month ago, in December 2020, some guidance in this respect. The guidance covers four key transfer pricing topics. First, the comparability analysis. How to compare arms and prices during the pandemic compared to the pre-pandemic periods. We need to perform a detailed assessment on how the business has been impacted by COVID. As you know, for some sectors, healthcare, digital companies, it resulted in higher profits, while for others, like for the travel industry, there was a huge negative impact. Then we also have the question of the allocation of losses and of COVID-19 specific costs between related parties, as well as the impact of government assistance for the comparability analysis. Finally, the guidance confirms that advanced pricing agreements should be respected unless the pandemic has changed one of their fundamental assumptions. In such a case, the taxpayer should report this to the tax administration. Another aspect is the possibility of the contracting parties to renegotiate the terms of the agreements in order to benefit from better conditions. Of course, there may be valid business reasons to depart from original agreements if it gives both parties better prospects. In any event, the key question remains, what would unrelated parties do under similar business circumstances? What are the options realistically available to the parties? Now, if we move to the next slide, I don't know, I don't have access. Yes, uh, if we move to the next slide. Here in Luxembourg, we are mainly working on financial transactions. So now let's consider the potential consequences of the current economic downturn for intra-group financing transactions. First and foremost, when pricing a loan, consideration needs to be given to the financing capacity of the borrower to fulfill its obligations in case of default. The key question would be, has the creditworthiness of the borrower changed with the pandemic? And if yes, how will this affect the term of the, of the loan? These changes could include changes in the yield on the debt instrument, changes in timing of payments, changes in security, or changes in financial covenants. The task of assessing counterparty risk, which can already be challenging in normal times, is even more difficult during financial crisis. This is due to the lack of information on the credit quality of the borrowers or unexpected future business performance. Also, the uncertainty brings complications in the valuation of assets that could serve as collateral for the loan, as well as when determining credit rating because of the questionable reliability of financial projections and cash flow ratios. In some cases, and this is really interesting, distressed companies may require financial support leading to potential debt versus equity consideration in the context of the, of the accurate delineation of the transaction. With the example of a company in financial distress, the tax authorities could try to requalify a loan as equity financing, where we know from the outset that the borrower does not have the financial capacity to service the loan, so to pay the interest when due and the principal at the end. Alain will explain this in more details when presenting the OECD TP guidance on financial transactions. So, in conclusion, 
In the COVID-19 environment, we advise companies to monitor on a contemporaneous basis intercompany debt, including the preparation of documentation to support finance decisions taken in respect of COVID-19. The TP documentation will also need to explain how the unforeseen business circumstances caused the observed financial results and how losses were not caused by intercompany prices alone. Taxpayers would be advised to consider whether financial ratios have changed and whether they dischanged impacted the credit rating, the credit risk of the company. In the end, this is really a case-by-case -case analysis. Now, Alain will present you the OECD TP guidance on financial transactions. Yes, thank you, Alexandre. I think, I think the takeaway here is uh, that, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, will cause uh, certain uh, TP adjustments that need to be done, but uh, I think the parties involved need to be uh, very prudent and any restructuring should be carefully planned and analyzed, uh, especially uh, given the issue that Alexandre mentioned, that the behavior of the parties uh, could have an impact on the classification of the instrument under the new transfer pricing guidance on financial transactions. So we move to this, uh, to this topic, which is really one of the hot topics for the time being. Um, we had a, already a webinar on the content of uh, the guidance, so we won't uh, enter into the detail of the content, but here the purpose is more to give you an update on what we here, what we uh, see uh, is the uh, interpretation of the Luxembourg tax authorities on this um, uh, on this new guidance. Uh, just as a as a short reminder, as you may know, it has been issued by the OECD in February 2020. Um, it is uh, only a guidance, so it's what we call soft law. It's not immediately and mandatorily transferable into uh, national uh, tax legislation, but it's a guidance that uh, is provided for the taxpayer and for mostly the tax authorities when they have to review transfer pricing situations. Um, and uh, it leaves a lot of uh, room for interpretation and administrative practice. So these kind of rules may vary a lot from one, unfortunately, from one country to another. And um, in, in, in Luxembourg, there has so far not been any official circular or position of the Luxembourg tax authorities on how they would interpret and apply these new uh, guidance. Um, one thing is, is for sure is that the um, transfer pricing guidance uh, from 2020 introduces uh, a new concept, uh, which is the arm's length quantum uh, of uh, a debt. So here we are looking at the volume of uh, debt that uh, company has, um, the amount of uh, or the, the percentage of leverage is, is, is being uh, considered here. It also introduced for the first time uh, what we call key indicators, uh, which are economic indicators that uh, can be used to classify a purported debt as either a debt instrument indeed or to reclassify it into equity. And it also um, gives further precision on the what we call the two-sided approach, meaning that if you consider uh, setting uh, a price of a, of a transaction, of a controlled transaction between related parties, but you have to consider all the economic context uh, on both sides, both at the level of the lender and at the level of the borrower. So it's not only that you basically do a transfer pricing report or transfer pricing analysis at the level of the borrower, for example, to 
justify that um, the borrower deals on arm's length terms with the lender, uh, you also must uh, switch to the position of the lender and uh, consider all the economics at his side to ensure that uh, he's behaving like he would behave with an unrelated party. The um, transfer pricing guidance um, gives another angle on challenges for debt financing to the, to the tax authorities. And as far as we know, the tax authorities are, of course, very fond of those new guidance, which uh, is an extremely or can be an extremely powerful weapon for them. Um, it's kind of the big burden for the tax authorities to challenge transfer pricing um, situations. And uh, with the, with, with, with the um, introduction of the concept of an arm's length quantum of debt, they now have three angles to challenge uh, financing. The first one is um, the debt instrument needs to be indeed a debt instrument. So what they could do is they could challenge uh, the nature of the debt instrument using those key indicators and uh, reclassify the instrument into equity. Uh, with, of course, the tax consequences in Luxembourg that uh, any payments made under the equity would be deemed dividends that are not tax deductible, so that give rise to taxable profit, as the case may be. And on top of that, um, it could also be subject to 50% withholding tax on profit distributions, while on interest, typically in Luxembourg, we don't have any uh, withholding tax. The second angle would be if they are satisfied that the instrument indeed economically represents a debt instrument is that they could challenge the interest rate. And that is what they do uh, more and more frequently and also in the tax returns or after having received the tax returns, they systematically ask for justifications now uh, on uh, interest uh, rates uh, that, are, that are being used. So you be prepared that they ask you an interest rate benchmark they have even a standardized letter that they send you in back-to-back in, in, in -back financing transactions if you have not provided any justification on the interest rates on the incoming and outgoing loans, well, they got to ask for it. That's, that's at least what we, what we see. And then the third uh, angle of uh, attack could be that they challenge then the quantum of debt. They say, well, it's a debt instrument. The interest rate is still um, arm's length. That's all fine, but the... Uh, volume of the debt is excessive. And so normally in, in an unrelated um, uh, transaction uh, between uh, non-affiliates, well, no lender would have uh, been um, ready to lend this huge amount of loans to the company. And so there is, again, uh, a reclassification. So it's, uh, it's, it's really very, very powerful in this, uh, in this respect. And uh, we switch to the next slide um, where we... Um, where we have a couple of other issues with those financial transactions uh, guidance. Uh, and the first one is actually the application in time. This is something that has been heavily debated also in, uh, amongst scholars, and you will find articles, uh, doctrine on it. Um, and as you may know, as a rule, they, Luxembourg is very stable as a uh, legal environment, and uh, there is generally never a retroactive, uh, retroactive application of new tax regulations on former uh, transactions. Uh, here, however, and that is a, a position that is defended by most uh, tax uh, authorities um, on OECD, of OECD member states, is that while those new transfer pricing guidance, they only provide a further precision on the 217 guidance uh, 
uh, transfer pricing uh, guidelines of the OECD. And so given that it's only giving further uh, precision, there's nothing new, basically. And so everything that is in the new transfer pricing guidance from 2020 is already foreseen by the 2017 uh, transfer pricing guidelines. And uh, accordingly, they deem it to be applicable as from the issuance of the 2017 uh, transfer pricing guidelines, having thus a, uh, automatically a kind of retroactive effect. Um, the Luxembourg Tax Authorities also take that view, uh, and they uh, seem to consider that the 2020 transfer pricing guidelines uh, is applicable as from uh, 2017, because uh, everything that is foreseen by the new uh, TPG is already foreseen by the 2017 guidance. On the other side, there are, however, heavily arguments to um, uh, that there are significant arguments uh, not to apply it as from 2017. And the usual argument is to say, well, uh, this is not simply an update or an uh, uh, providing further precisions on the 27 transfer pricing guidelines. The new 2020 guidance is actually a new, a whole new chapter, chapter 10, that has been added uh, to the 2017 uh, TPG. So it's not something purely interpretative or giving further precisions of something that existed already, but it's a completely new chapter. I think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, the uh, the, in practice, the answer lies a little bit in, in between those two uh, extreme positions. One has also to take into account that uh, at the time when the tax returns will be uh, checked by the uh, Luxembourg tax authorities, um, that for 2020, that will be somewhere around most likely 2023, 24, maybe 25 at the, at the last before the status of limitation kicks in. So, and by that time, everything that's written in the 2020 TPG uh, will be uh, in 2023-45, will be part of um, the usual transfer pricing regulations, and uh, obviously the tax authorities will refer there too when they when they check the uh, the tax returns. So in uh, in practice, what does this mean? Well, uh, first of all, that means that the good uh, news is that the circular letter on the intra group financing uh, of uh, 216 that was applicable as from the 1st of January 2017. Uh, and which is based on the 2017 uh, transfer pricing guidance, is already in line uh, logically with the 2020 transfer pricing uh, guidance. So if, uh, in, in, in very simple terms, uh, if the taxpayer complies uh, with the 2016 uh, circular letter on intergroup financing, well then uh, there could not be a challenge uh, under the 2020 transfer pricing uh, guidance because uh, if you comply with that circular, which is in compliance with the new guidance, uh, it's acceptable by the tax authorities that you also implicitly comply with the new guidance. On the other aspects, well, there we recommend to be prudent. One should uh, analyze on a case-by-case -case basis what the potential impact of the new uh, TPG could be. Um, it's clear that uh, we cannot change anything uh, in the past, but uh, in order to uh, check whether there should be any amendments that need to be done, if there is anything that needs to be changed uh, that would not be compliant with the 2020 uh, TPG. Our recommendation is to do a kind of sanity check uh, in this respect. For example, typically uh, the 2020 guidance uh, requires that uh, as a rule all guarantees need to be, all financial guarantees need to be remunerated. Um, that is uh, 
something new, although the 27 uh, guidance also uh, typically would require that uh, financial guarantees are remunerated unless uh, there's, of course, the benefit of, of the guarantor. Um, and I think those are the situations that need to be need to be uh, assessed on a case by case basis, and we need to check whether um, there is an impact uh, or not. But uh, in any case, that would be prudent and um, check it in advance and not leave it up to the tax authorities to uh, to, do, um, to do that. Then the second one is the key indicator, um, where the key indicators are economic indicators that allow the tax authorities to reclassify the instrument from debt to uh, equity. Um, on the next slide, uh, we have um, the, uh, the, the indicators, uh, the list of the indicators, like the fixed repayment date, the obligation to pay interest, financial covenant, security, the ability of the borrower to obtain loans from unrelated lending institution, the lender profile status, uh, the right to enforce the payments of principal and interest, and the source of the interest payments, uh, or the type of assets funded by the loan. So these are the uh, criteria that uh, are applied to um, a uh, financing transactions by the tax authorities in order to assess whether, indeed, from an economic perspective, and notwithstanding the legal qualification, uh, the financial transaction indeed is a, a granting of a loan and is not uh, a contribution of equity by the shareholder. Um, these are taken. These have been imposed apparently by the uh, by the U.S. tax authorities by the IRS uh, based on uh, U.S. Um, court cases. Uh, these have been developed uh, over the years. And uh, if we take, for example, the obligation to pay interest, uh, and that again. Uh, is one of the one of the points uh, of attention regarding any COVID restructurings. Um, if a lender would simply waive uh, the interest uh, that has accrued uh, on a loan towards the borrower um, uh, without any counterparty, uh, this could, for example, be viewed as uh, the behavior of a shareholder and not of a lender, because normally a lender would not simply waive uh, any interest. It would rather request um, the payment of the interest, it would enforce it, it would maybe uh, negotiate, uh, be, be ready to negotiate some uh, uh, specific delays and so on, but it would not simply waive it. And so the behavior of the parties needs to be considered when uh, doing a COVID restructuring in order to make sure that um, the behavior of the parties will not lead to any reclassification of the instrument. Uh, regarding tax audits, very briefly, um, Again, I think what the tax authorities now look at is compliance with the, with the 216 uh, circular on interoperable financing. I think that's the bulk of the uh, audit that's being done. Um, they apparently have seen a lot of cases where financing transactions have been set up after uh, 217, which are not in line with the circular letter, and they systematically challenge those. They also use the new TPG uh, specifically for aggressive tax structures where they uh, uh, where, they, um, where, where the economic rationale of the, of the structuring is lacking. So there, the new tensor pricing guidance give them uh, a very good uh, additional weapon to, uh, uh, to challenge these structures. And last but not least, um, they uh, apparently very often, and that's also our experience, is that uh, it's, it's quite easy for them to reassess uh, Transfacing situations because uh, very often the legal documentation is not in line with the uh, with the transfer pricing documentation, which which of course 
makes it an easy challenge for them. As regards the uh, key indicators, also, um, it's clear that one single indicator uh, can typically not have an influence on the classification uh, of the instruments, but it's the global context, and it's here the second bullet point, it's the economic rationale uh, of the transaction uh, that, that, that is mostly being um, viewed by the, by the tax authorities. Uh, we pass to the other international developments, and I give the, uh, the floor back to, um, to, to Alexander on this. Thank you. Yes, there are also some news on the taxation of the digital economy. So this is a very complex topic. Uh, we could have a dedicated session on this, but very briefly. Very briefly. So in, uh, in October 2020, the OECD released a report that addresses the challenges of the taxation of the digital economy, and more specifically, should draft blueprints of the technical aspects of the proposals. As a result of the digitalization of the economy, companies can do business across borders without having any physical nexus in the market jurisdictions. This means that under the current tax rules, these market jurisdictions have little or no means to tax those companies. The OECD and the G20 are working to, together on implementing new rules as part of the BEPS inclusive framework which consists of two measures. Pillar one, which is intended to introduce a new form of nexus for digitalized businesses, together with new profit allocation rules. And pillar two, which aims at introducing a minimum level of tax for multinationals. What's new about these regulations is that whereas currently companies are taxed in the location where they are physically located, in this new framework, companies will be taxed where the consumers are located, where the consumers buy services and products. These new regulations are addressing companies of a certain size, and that would typically, typically be with revenues of 750 million, and it only concerns companies that operate in the digital economy. Many key aspects of the proposals remain subject to political agreement, and questions remain as to when, and indeed if, the OECD proposal will be implemented. But it's clear that the tax rule will change to bring this in line with the economic reality of today. And even more now, uh, in a world where the digital businesses tend to earn more profits during the COVID-19 pandemic in comparison to conventional businesses. So now, uh, just a few words on uh, dispute uh, resolution and notably on mutual agreement procedures, as we have seen lately an increased number of MAP cases initiated in Luxembourg. And we believe that COVID-19 will only further increase double taxation issues, and as, a and as a consequence, we will see more and more MAP cases. From our experience, it was not always an easy task to get through a MAP. The main shortcomings were that it often takes a long time, and there is no obligation for the tax authorities to actually reach an agreement, except if there is a mandatory binding MAP arbitration in the relevant tax treaties. The success of the MAP lately can be explained by the great work of the OECD as part of the BEPS project, as more and more countries have been adopting mandatory arbitration to solve double taxation in their tax treaties via the multilateral instruments. We do not have only MAP under tax treaties, but also the EU Arbitration Convention and the EU Directive on Tax Dispute Resolution Mechanism, 
which has been transposed in Luxembourg by the law of 20 December 2019. Both provide for a binding arbitration. This explains the success of the map now, and the tax administration here in Luxembourg is very professional and reactive in dealing with the map cases and in resolving double taxation efficiently. Unfortunately, it's not the case with all the countries. That's why a peer-based monitoring mechanism has been established by the OECD to ensure that map cases are resolved in a timely and effective way among the countries. We have finished now. Alain will have uh, some uh, concluding remarks, I think, and we can then respond to your questions through the Q&A feature on the right side of your screen. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I think as a, as a takeaway, uh, as a concluding remark, one could say that uh, the uh, impact of the new uh, transfer pricing guidance on 2020 should, in any case, be duly considered by uh, the, the taxpayers, specifically when they are going through any financial restructuring due to the COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, it's not only an issue in Luxembourg, but it's also an issue in the other countries uh, that are, that are um, part of the transaction. And as, as, as usual in cross-border uh, transactions, uh, the, the risk of a double taxation is, is, is always very high in transfer pricing matters. But hopefully we now have European Directive uh, on, on, on mutual agreement procedures that uh, requests uh, a binding uh, and final solution on both tax authorities. So this is a real opportunity um, that should be that should also be used by by, by the tax authorities um, either uh, when it's too late and there has been a double uh, a double taxation or even upfront uh, applying for a bilateral or multilateral uh, advanced pricing agreement. And I see that there here are several questions are coming in um, from the from the participants. Uh, very interesting ones. Um, unfortunately Due to lack of timing, we cannot we cannot go through all the all the questions, but we're gonna uh, send separate answers to them. I just pick one question that's very relevant, uh, which would be uh, the question uh, regarding the um, in case in case the taxpayer has to uh, restructure financially the transactions, the group, uh, what are the pitfalls and what should be uh, uh, considered uh, in the light of the new uh, TPG. I think the answer there is, um, is, is very straightforward. Um, if, you, if the taxpayer simply uh, waives, for example, the interest or waives loans uh, without any formal legal documentation so that it only appears in the account, so it's going to be very easy for the tax authorities to challenge that and to reclassify it, to reclassify the instrument. I think, uh, very importantly, there should be, first of all, um, a legal documentation, meaning board resolutions, where you see that really uh, the boards of the lender and the borrower are negotiating, they are discussing uh, the issues, uh, they explain clearly what is the economic rationale, what are the risks, what's the issue, will the company run insolvent if uh, there is no relief, uh, and so on, and list that all very clear uh, in order to find uh, an agreement uh, between the borrower and the lender as uh, it would be between unrelated parties, uh, typically with a consortium of banks. And to have all this kind of documentation and uh, in the corporate um, registered at hand when the tax authorities are asking questions. And again, the economic rationale must be, uh, must, 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 must be there. Um, I think in the, uh, unfortunately, we have to stop here. 
um, the remaining questions will be answered uh, separately to the to the participants. And if you have any other queries, uh, questions, uh, don't hesitate to contact uh, me or Alexandre uh, directly. Thank you very much and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Um, maybe for those who have time and can build a snowman, uh, don't forget to uh, don't forget to put gloves on and to keep warm. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this webinar. We hope you found it interesting. Should you need more information on our tax expertise, we invite you to visit our website www.arent.com. Besides, you can download our new app Arent Insight to keep Arent's expertise right at your fingertips around the clock.